I don't know how many of you have ever tried juggling. Does anybody here know how to juggle? You almost raised your hand, Teresa. I saw it. Oh, okay. So, Emma, you know, you've juggled? You kind of almost raised Oh. <laughs> okay, so we have no jugglers in here, so I couldn't give you this little... Any, I couldn't give this to anybody. And This is Hudson's little thing of balls um, to try and juggle. I don't know. You could try juggling with that, too, but... Uh, I don't know. There's been times in my life where I've like, you know, how hard can this be? You know, put a couple of balls in your hand and try to whip it around. But you see people do it, and they kind of do it effortlessly. And I'd imagine there's, you know, we could all come up with the key to juggling. It's like you got to keep all the balls in the air, keep it moving. And you know, you uh, you usually have three is kind of the minimum to call it juggling. I mean, two is. I don't know, it's called two juggling. Um, but three is kind of the minimum. You keep adding more in, and then you can see someone just like, it's almost like the balls are touching each other as they go around in circles. But keep adding more and more balls in, and it's just, uh, you have juggling going. Um, but even if none of us have uh, um, maybe learned how to juggle a physical ball, uh, you've maybe felt like, I feel like I'm juggling in life right now. Like, I'm just juggling too many things. I'm trying to keep a lot of things in the air. And, you know, I've got work or I've got kids or I've got um, these bills I'm trying to pay. I've got, you know, maybe just at work you feel like I'm trying to keep this person happy, this person, this, this person happy, this person happy. I've got this project, this project, and this project. And I'm juggling all these things. Or at my house I've got, I've got the cooking, I've got the cleaning, I've got the kids, I've got a spouse, and I'm juggling all these things. And then you add in, okay, I've got the house the housework, and I've got the spouse, and I've got the kids, and I've got the work, and I've got the medical bills, and I've got the yard work, and I'm, you know, now we start juggling all this stuff, and then you start adding in, okay, now I've got my church family, and then I've got you know, juggling all these things, and we feel like we're, we use the image maybe of like, I'm just, feel like I'm dropping balls, and it kind of adds into the image, I'm trying to juggle all these things, and now I'm just dropping balls, and you know, I feel that way sometimes, it's like I've got all these things I'm trying to juggle, and when I've used the image with Katie. Like I feel like you know when Katie's using it with me, like I'm just feel like I'm dropping balls. I'm not doing things well. I'm not doing things well at work. Or I'm not doing things well in my family or with our marriage. And it's like I'm dropping balls here, and I don't know uh, which one. Or we feel like a failure. Like I'm you know not keeping up with the things I need to keep up with. Uh, and we've all felt that way. Like I'm just juggling stuff, and I'm not keeping up with what I need to keep up with. And so keep that image in mind of, of the juggling. And um, we'll come back to it. I'll keep the, uh, the balls over here um, as an image that we'll, we'll come back to. But as we continue this series uh, called Pictures of Following Jesus, the, the Bible tells us to repent, to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus. And we're told this is how we become followers of Jesus. You trust him, believe in him, put your faith in him. But what do all those mean? What, is, you know, what does faith mean? What does trust mean? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to believe? Those are all words we'll hear in church a lot or hear in the Bible a lot. What does it actually mean? So in the series, Pictures of Following Jesus, we're saying a picture is worth a thousand words, and we're going through these six passages uh, that give us a picture of what all those things mean. What's a picture of following Jesus look like? And we have our pictures up here we've, we've gone through, and we saw in the first passage that this picture of, you know, uh, is Jesus worth everything to us? What's a picture of Jesus being worth everything to us? Um, and then, you know, what's a, a picture of b- the gospel of uh, being embraced by God? You know, being have God throwing this feast of when we repent, like how excited God is to bring us back in um, to His family. Uh, and then this week, we're going to see 
uh, this picture of living as family. Uh, but take a moment to flip. I got a little ahead of myself there. Take a moment to flip to the back of your songbook, which gives us the roadmap of this series. I know if this is week week three, and maybe you're like a little tired of flipping to the songbook, but got another four weeks of flipping to the back of the songbook. This is important. This is what the you know the heart of our church, the DNA of our church. The very last page of our songbook, um, number 46. This last page. This is our roadmap for this series. Um, what is Good News Church all about? Uh, this is our roadmap. So the first week we were looking at our mission as a community. We're surrendering all of life to Jesus and inviting others to the same. So the first week we looked at what's a picture of surrender? What does surrender look like? What does it look like for someone to surrender? And it looks like valuing Jesus above all else. And then how do we surrender all of life to Jesus? How do we invite others to the same? Well, the next part of that picture is by practicing believing the gospel, living as family. Loving as servants, going as messengers, relying on the Spirit. And so a couple of weeks ago we looked at believing the gospel. What's a picture of the gospel? And what does it look like to come back to God? And what does it look like to be embraced by Him? And this week we're looking at what does it look like to live as family? What is a picture of living as family? And we're looking at this scene in the Gospel of Mark um, for what that uh, looks like. What does family look like? And it comes from this famous story of Jesus feeding over 5,000 people. If we kept reading in Mark, we would learn that this is a key story in the gospel according to Mark that reveals a significant truth about who Jesus is. And we would learn if we kept reading just in the very next story that the disciples missed it the first time around. And it even seems like they might have even missed that a miracle took place. And if, But even if we see it as only a miracle, like, oh, wow, 5,000 people and even over 5,000 people because it says 5,000 men. So they counted up the men and it's like you know, women and children were there too. If we just see it as, wow, there was a day when Jesus fed over 5,000 people with just these couple loaves of bread and a couple fish, um, then we're missing it too because there's more going on here than just a miracle of a bunch of people getting fed taking place. And the disciples didn't see it at first. They totally missed it. And if we just see it for that surface level, a big miracle where everyone got their dinner, we'll miss it too. And if we're just amazed at something Jesus did to feed people, we will miss what's really being taught here. So we're going to pay attention to what it reveals about Jesus. We're also going to pay special attention to what it's teaching us about uh, what it means to be a community gathered around Jesus. Because Jesus has these disciples gathered around him, and he has this crowd of people gathered around him, and in it he's teaching them what's it going to look like to be a community uh, around, around him, gathered around him, with him at the center. What is... How does he want them to interact with each other? How does he want them to relate to one another? What type of community does he want them to be? And if you were to sit down with, um, I mean, most of the pastors that I know anyway, I can't attest for every pastor in the world, but if you were to sit down with most of the pastors that I know in, in the evangelical world and ask them, uh, what, what do you want your church community to be like? They would open their Bible to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which was the first scripture reading that Josue did for us earlier. But I preached on that passage before in, in this exact topic when we talked about living as family a couple of years ago, and we're going to go through Acts, or plan to go through Acts later this year. Um, but I want, so I wanted to back up before Acts happened. There was Jesus on earth. Acts is after the Spirit gets poured out. Jesus ascends into heaven. He pours out the Spirit. So I wanted to back up when Jesus is still teaching the disciples. What does it look like to be this community? Mark chapter 6 is Jesus teaching them 
Acts chapter 2 is the disciples are leading the way. Jesus has already ascended to the Father. They have the Spirit. And the disciples have been taught by Jesus what is community going to look like. So they're leading the way. But Mark chapter 6 is them still learning from Jesus. They still don't quite get it. What's it going to be like to live as family? What does this new community look like? They're still learning. And so they're still in raw form. They aren't quite mature. They're still on this growth path. And uh, we get to see him teaching them. This is the type of community I want you to be. They still don't get it yet. And so we're going to get them in raw form, uh, him in raw form teaching them. So let's start by walking through the story, uh, and then we'll look at uh, the big idea for it and take some uh, applications for us out of it. So in verse 30, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, we're told the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And if we had backed up to the beginning of chapter 6, verse 7, we would see that Jesus sent them out in pairs. Two by two, he gets the apostles together. He sends them out in pairs. He gives them authority to cast out demons. And we see they go from town to town, and they're preaching to people, telling them, repent of your sins. They're casting out demons. They're healing people. And now they've come back from that journey, and they're telling them, Jesus, here's all the things we've done. We've been casting out demons. We've been healing people. Here's all the things we've taught. We've been telling people about the kingdom. We've been telling people about you. We've been telling people about all these things that have been happening. And they're returning from this mission and reporting to Jesus. And so then in verses 31 through 32, he says, uh, it says, And he said to them, Okay, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And it says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so Jesus invites them to come away. Let, let's get off, kind of off in the wilderness, off in the desert, off into a desolate place. Let's get away from the towns, let's get away from the villages, and they have this boat, because you know, a couple of the disciples were fishermen, they're by the Sea of Galilee, and so they get in the boat, and they uh, use the boat to kind of go off, you know, you know, there would be towns along the Sea of Galilee, they go off in between them, they're trying to go off into this desolate place, and let's get off, we're going to get away with Jesus by ourselves, we're going to have this little debrief time, you know, kind of like we do um, when we're serving at Crossroads and stuff, serving at the nursing home, we have these debrief times, like, okay, let's talk about what we've been experiencing um, in our mission, we were sent out by God. We're, let's have this debrief time. What have we been seeing? What have we been experiencing? Let's pray. And they're getting this time alone uh, with, with Jesus. And we're told they haven't even had time to eat. They haven't had leisure time. They've been going, going, going. Even when they come back from the mission, we're told people have been coming and going. Still people are showing up. I don't know, maybe they came back to Jesus and there's just these people around Jesus getting help from him. And so they get in this boat across the Sea of Galilee to be alone. But verse 33, we're told... Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So people see them crossing. They recognize, oh, Jesus and his disciples. That you mean, see a Galilee. You know, so when we think of sea, it's like, whoa, you know, you can't see across the sea. But really, sea, it's really a lake. Sea of Galilee is really a lake. You know, so think of a lake that you can see across on most of the sides. So they see them going across and like, hey. And that's Jesus and his disciples. And like, looks like they're heading over there. So, you know, so they run across to the other side of the lake. And it's like, oh, you know, they head them off. And so they get on shore. And oh, this crowd we just tried to have a break from. Now they land on shore. You know, we're about to have our beach vacation. They get to the beach. Oh, all the people we were just trying to get a break from are now uh, on the beach there waiting for us. And so verse 34, we're told, when he went to shore... He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And began to teach them many things. So come ashore, met by this great crowd. And when Jesus sees them, he has compassion on them. And now I don't often share Greek words because it's not really that helpful to you. I mean, these translations are made to tell us what the Greek words mean, so you don't really need to know Greek words. But the way the word for compassion sounds illustrates the point of kind of what the word means. And the Greek word for compassion is splachna, and it's this like gut-level feeling, like splachna. You know, it's kind of like this, this gut-level feeling of empathy. You know, like when we kind of have like our guts churn at something we see that makes us feel this empathy, this pity, this, this, this feeling of like that kind of just made me, you know, I just felt it down in, in my guts, like deep within me, this splachna. Um, and so he feels this compassion for them, this gut-level emotion and affection for these people that he sees. It's sympathy and pity and, and this tender-hearted love that comes from deep within him. Why does Jesus feel this toward them? We're told because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He sees this crowd of people who come running from all these villages, and he says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we might wonder, well, what's it like to be a sheep without a shepherd? And we, you know, most of us, I'm assuming, have never been shepherds. Never been sheep either, because you're all humans. Uh, what's it like to be a sheep without a shepherd? Well, sheep, you know, there's a, there's a book I looked up, uh, you know, a lot of, I'm getting this from a, a book called The B- Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, and it goes through all these images that the Bible uses for um, in, you know, that the, lots of imagery used in the Bible, and shepherding is a big one used for leaders in the Bible. And so sheep are they're very helpless creatures. They're needy, and they wouldn't survive long without a shepherd. They're dependent. Uh, they're prone to wander. I want you to think about that phrase. That was the exact phrase this book used, and we're going to sing Come Thou Found after this, where we sing the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to wander, unable to find their way back to the sheep pen with the other sheep, even if it's in sight. It's like, I can see it there, and they can't figure out how to get back to it. They need a lot of help. And so shepherds, words this book used, are their providers, their guides, their protectors, and their constant companions. The sheep have the shepherds with them as constant companions. And at night, their protection from uh, predators that would come and try to eat them and take them off in the daytime, the shepherds are leading them on these safe paths to places of grazing and watering. You think of Psalm 23, that through the valley of the shadow of death, God is our shepherd and leading us to green pastures and still water, you know, green places to eat and still waters to, so you don't fall in this raging river to, to sit there and drink. And, the, and then at night, uh, shepherds would tend to you know, sheep that are maybe sick that have like a fever or, or got scratched during the day. And so there's this Shepherds are this picture of care and compassion, but also of strength because they're able to ward off from uh, wolves and anything else that would come to attack the sheep. And they had often these two tools, the rod and the staff. And the rod was like this club weapon. You know, you could whack wolves. And the, the staff was also, you know, like has the crook that you could use to also protect the sheep, but also had, you know, the, the hook is like to, you can pull the sheep out from something, to rescue it from something it's stuck in or to protect it from things. And so shepherds were this figure of authority and leadership. Um, the sheep would know, would learn the shepherd's voice and they would listen to the, only the shepherd's voice and not to any other shepherd's voice. And so sheep without a shepherd, 
Jesus sees them as these people that uh, don't have anybody guiding them, don't have anybody protecting them, don't have anybody leading them, don't have anybody providing for them, uh, that are just wandering and aimless and are helpless, and they, nobody's there among them and caring for them. And he has this, just looks at them and he's like, from deep within them, like, these people need a shepherd. They're just wandering. And, he, you know, and you know, sometimes, you know, I'm challenged by it because sometimes we, we feel, maybe we feel somebody is in need and maybe we can get, like, annoyed. Like, why are those people always in need? Well, now, all these needy people, like, why can't they just get it together? You know, sometimes we can maybe have an annoying or frustrated response towards people. And Jesus, he sees people who are wandering and needy and he's like, I just have so much compassion for them. They need a shepherd. And so he teaches them, begins to teach them and lead them and guide them. We may ask, why are these people like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus is about to feed all these people. He's about to give them a meal, a feast. And if we backed up one story, we would see a story about how King Herod, the person who's supposed to be the king over Israel, also threw a feast and fed a bunch of people. And he's this king over Israel. We see as he throws this feast that he is selfish, he's immoral, that he has no backbone, that he gives in uh, to people's opinions and he uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't lead the people at all, that he has these party guests and he's letting his daughter-in-law dance provocatively to please his party guests. He's just this immoral guy who's not at all leading the people and now Jesus is standing with all these people, with all these needs, who have, has this king that isn't leading them all at all and he stands there as this shepherd, as this king. And he's going to lead them. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus has this crowd. And he steps in. And we're supposed to see him as he's the true Lord of Israel. He's the true King of Israel in their midst. And if you look you know, all the way back, who is the one who led them in, the people of Israel in the wilderness, way back in the book of Exodus, way back when the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, when they left the land of Egypt, when they were led out of uh, slavery then, and they're wandering in the wilderness. Moses led them out, and who was with them? God himself. And what happened there? They were taught, they were provided bread when they needed food, they, God's presence was with them, and now as they're standing in the wilderness, what's happening? Jesus is with them, and he's shepherding them, and he's providing for them, and he's giving them bread to eat. Just like way back when, when God's people were in the wilderness, Jesus is now with them, shepherding them with compassion, leading them, feeding them, caring for them. Let's move on to verses 35 to 36. We're told, and, and when it grew late, so Jesus has compassion, he starts teaching them. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so, let's try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. They just got back from this mission that Jesus sent them on. They've been going from town to town, preaching, casting out demons, healing the sick. And we're told in verse 31 that people have just been coming and going constantly, so they've not even had free time to eat. And now they're finally supposed to get a little downtime, a little one-on-one, you know, in a small group with Jesus. And this is their time to rest alone with him. And what happens? Another crowd of people comes, and another crowd of needy people who are sick, demons, have needs, and here they are. And Jesus doesn't send them away but instead he lets them stay around. Now it seems that uh, Jesus does give them some downtime because he doesn't say, okay, now you guys all take care of them. He teaches them. So they're probably sitting there you know, listening and watching and getting the teaching themselves. But as the, the day goes late, it gets late and you know, it's starting to get dark perhaps, 
Uh, the disciples alert him to a practical concern. Hey, Jesus, it's late. Uh, should probably send these people away. Let, you know, we don't have any food. Like, send them off to the villages and the towns nearby so they can get something to eat for themselves. And so Jesus surprises them in verse 37. <coughs> he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And we learn later that 5,000 men were part of this crowd, not counting the women and children. And naturally they respond with disbelief at Jesus' instruction. Well, shall we go and buy 200 you know, denarii worth of bread? And the disciples do some quick mental math on the cost of feeding this crowd of people. Uh, a denarius was a day's wages for the average worker. Uh, and so 200 denarii. 200 of those, 200 denarii, uh, was over a half a year's of wages. So they're like, well, you know, I thought, you know, all these people here are days wages. This would cost us over you know, half a year's wages, Jesus. You want us to go and buy bread for all these people? Like, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have those kind of resources. How are we supposed to buy bread for this many people? We don't have resources for that. So verse 38, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. He wants them to go count out, okay, well, what resources do you have? We don't have resources to do that, Jesus. Well, what do you have? And they have, like, we don't have, we can't buy bread for all these people, so like, well, we have five loaves. We got a little bonus. We have two fish, too. I don't know how that happened. Like, go find out how much bread you have. We got five loaves, and you know, if you count the fish, we got two fish, too. And then, let's just read 39 through 44. Consider what this means for us. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces, and of the fish. Those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Our big idea today for today is this, if you like taking notes and writing down such things. Uh, a community with Jesus at the center looks different because it looks differently. A community with Jesus at the center looks different because it looks differently. A community with Jesus at the center looks different because it looks differently. This passage is both about who Jesus is and the community he's gathering around him. He's recreating the people of God. He's God leading the people in the wilderness. He's this new shepherd. He's this new Moses teaching the people. He's the shepherd of God's people. Like Moses led people in the wilderness centuries ago, Jesus is teaching them, providing them, and guiding them now. Like God is with them long ago. God is with them now in Jesus. And Jesus stands at the center of this community but notice that he needs to challenge the initial instincts of his disciples. They're still learning, they're still growing, they're still on a, a growth path to fully seeing who Jesus is and to living as the type of community that Jesus wants them to be in. So notice their initial instincts. We're going to look at how do they look at things initially and how does Jesus want them to look at things differently so that they start to be a community that looks different from the rest of the world. So first, everyone... 
how they look at things at first, their initial instincts. First, everyone should look out for themselves. That's how they first look at things. Everyone should look out for themselves. In verses 35 and 36, they tell Jesus, it's late, there's no food, so send the people away to find food for themselves. Look out, have them, these people look out for themselves. You know, go find food for themselves. Their initial instinct is that when people are in need, they need to look out for themselves to fill in. People need to fend for themselves. But what does Jesus do? He says, no, you give them something to eat. Jesus doesn't want the people to look out for themselves. Jesus wants the disciples to look after them. Jesus wants this to be a community project. Jesus is the shepherd, and these are his sheep. And the disciples want to send the sheep away to get their own food. And the shepherd wants to keep the sheep <coughs> close and provide for them. And if you, uh, the image is, <coughs> so if you remember back to, you know, she- sheep are needy and they need the shepherd as their constant companions. And so Jesus is this, is a shepherd. You know, the, the passage is a better picture than I can draw. That's a shepherd. So there you go. And so, yeah. It's awesome. And so, you know, imagine this is the flock. And Jesus, as a good shepherd, he wants to keep the flock around him. And so the disciples are saying, like, hey, Jesus, <coughs> send the people away. Go go have them go get food for themselves. And he's saying, no, you give them something to eat. The flock needs to stay together. They need to stay with the shepherd. They, we need to, the flock doesn't leave the shepherd. The shepherd keeps the flock together. I'm going to provide for them, protect them. Our big idea is a community with Jesus at the center looks different because it looks differently. And how does it look differently? Instead of looking out for ourselves, we look out for each other. Instead of looking out for ourselves, we look out for each other. Instead of looking out for ourselves, we look out for each other. And the first instinct of the disciples is that they think everyone should look out for themselves. Jesus is late. We need food. Have people go look out for themselves. He says, no, you you give them something to eat. And then we need to look out for each other. Like, I'm the shepherd, and I'm the center of this community, and we're going to look out for each other. We're going to stay together. And if you compare it with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, the first scripture reading, a community with everything in common, providing for each other's needs, sharing and caring for one another, that uh, people aren't dispersing. Like, okay, we need food. Everyone go figure it out for themselves. No, they're all holding things in common, the rich and the poor and people who have and have not, and they're looking out for one another. So that's the first instinct. They, they think, everyone needs to look out for themselves, and Jesus says, no, look out for each other. The second instinct of the disciples is that they look to themselves. The disciples look to themselves. When the disciples want to send the people away to look after themselves, Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. What's their immediate response? We don't have enough money for that. We don't have the resources for that. Jesus gives them a job, and they look to their own resources to complete it. And when given a job, they look to themselves to complete that job. And so what's Jesus doing here? Why, why did he ask this of them? Why, of course he knows they don't have that kind of money. I mean, the, I mean we know that they have a, like maybe one or two rich people in that group, but Jesus doesn't knows that they don't have that kind of cash on them, like a half a year's wages to go and buy bread for all these people. I mean, how are they even haul all that back? You know, like wagon loads of bread from all these villages. How are they going to even collect all that? Like it's impossible. How are they going to make that even happen? 
He asks them to do something they cannot do. Why would he do that? The disciples do not possess the resources to feed this crowd of people. So why does Jesus ask them to do it? He wants to teach them to look outside of themselves. He doesn't want them to look to themselves to do this. He wants them to look to God. Our big idea is that a community with Jesus at the center looks different because it looks differently. And how does it look differently? Instead of looking to ourselves, we look to God. Instead of looking to ourselves, we look to God. And where is God for the disciples in this situation? Where do they see God in this situation? Well, he's nowhere to be found for them. Do they see God in this picture? They don't. When do they stop to pray? Where do they see God coming through for them? Where do they uh, thinking that God is going to be an answer to any of these problems they have? After looking at themselves for the answer, Jesus shows them where are we going to look for this. He says, okay, go gather the resources you do have. I, I know you don't have enough bread or, to, or enough money to buy that amount of bread. Go see what you do have. And then he's like, now we're going to look to the one who can provide for this need. And then he involves them in giving it to the people. He allows them to participate in this thing that he wants to do. And we're going to stick together. I'm the shepherd of this community. This is the flock. And together we're going to be a part of providing for for them. So how does Jesus challenge them to think? Look out for each other, not for yourselves. Not, and you know, not everyone out for themselves. Look to God, not to yourselves. And we're on the same growth path as these disciples. We're on a growth path of seeing Jesus more fully for who he is. We're on a growth path of becoming the type of community that Jesus wants us to be. And so we're going to do kind of a two-part application. What's the application for us as individuals, and what's the application for us as a community? And this, you know, we're just going to do those two things, those same two things. How do we look out for each other, not just for ourselves, and how do we look to God and not just to ourselves? And go back to that image of juggling. Now, when times get tough, you know, not just you know, don't just imagine balls here. You know, put a label on each of the balls, you know. Here's my work ball that I try to juggle. Here's my you know, kid's ball that I try to juggle. Here's my uh, staying healthy ball that I try to juggle. And, you know, here's my you know, church ball that I try to juggle. And then we juggling all these balls. And then when, you know, maybe a new ball gets added in all of a sudden, like, oh, no, that you know, I didn't have to stress about that before. Now all of a sudden I do have a health complication. My health was fine before. Now I, the health ball gets added in. And so now I'm trying to juggle that. And I can't juggle, I'm not, you know, let's imagine that we only have three balls to juggle. I'm not equipped to juggle four balls. Okay, a fourth ball got added in. i got to drop one of the other ones. I can only juggle three. And so which one is going to get dropped? Is it going to be church, job, or family? Well, church feels optional, so I'm going to drop church. Or, okay, uh, church, I have too many responsibilities there, so I'm going to drop family. I'm going to do a little less time with my spouse or my kids. They're going to get neglected a little bit. Or work, I'm just going to do a little bit less there. I'm going to do a better, worse job off there. And so we decide which ball am I going to drop when another one gets added in. And we do this thing where we're trying to juggle life. And we just, when we get too many balls in the air, we say, well, okay, one of them's got to drop for a while. And I'll just add it back in when I can get one, set one of these other ones down. Which one are we going to focus on? And we think we need to, we're, you know, we're, we think I'm going to do this alone. And I'm going to do it without God. I'm going to do it without others. And our initial reaction and instinct tends to be what the disciples is, that I, I need to look after myself, and I look to myself to do it. That you know, if anybody's going to do this thing, if any, you know, these balls are getting added in, 
I need to look out for myself. Nobody else is going to look after me. And the, I just need to look to myself for all the resources to accomplish this. And I can't look to God to do it. It's just going to be, have to be up to me. And we need to change our instincts to be, you know what, no, I'm in a church community. I'm in a church family. I need to live as family with them. We need to look after each other. And I need to look after others, and others are going to look after me and look after their interests. And uh, how can God be in this picture with me? Um, there's this image that's not my own. You know, this juggling image isn't even my own. You know, so if you're like, wow, that's a really, you know, that's a really great illustration, Pastor Mitch. Well, I took it from a book, um, and I, I really helped me in that book. Um, but so often we think, you know, in the in the image um, of, you know, church is kind of one of the balls we juggle. And then you, know, when life gets stressful, maybe church will kind of drop off, or God is one of the balls we juggle, and maybe at some point God will get dropped off. But instead, we look at, you know, how does how are God? Well, let's try to get a marker that works. How can how can we actually do? Uh, we're looking out for each other, so God and community. And then actually, we're juggling all the ball. We're juggling the balls with them, instead of it's just you know me. And then we have God. We might try to juggle our relationship with God, church, work, family, and we juggle these. And then it's like okay, kids, whatever it is, health. And then it's like, okay, when one of these gets stressful, something's going to have to drop off, and which ones are optional? Instead, looking at it as like, okay, I'm going to live life, I'm going to look to God, and I'm going to look to my community to help me juggle these other things. And when they get stressful, I'm going to look to my live as family with my community. I'm going to look to God to be in the picture with these things instead of like, it's just me looking to myself and looking out for myself. Um, and I just have to do it alone, and so something's going to have to drop off once once life gets stressful, because so often we just try to juggle it all on our own instead of doing it with our community and trying to do it with God in the picture. And, uh, and when we're looking um, after ourselves, I mean, it's a it's been a journey as we've been in this. Uh, it's something we've tried to incorporate into the life of this church from the beginning, and it's hard. It's been from in decision making, um, uh, how we I personally try to make decisions, or when we've had you know things in our house or things in our life that come up, um, it's the reflex that I feel in myself is to I just need to figure this out rather than ask for help or like okay who can we hire to do this or like oh I just need to figure out this decision and then I'll just tell everybody the decision I make rather than how do we include people in making a hard decision or how do we uh, in Include people in like, well, oh, I'm really, you know, like stressed about this thing in our house or stressed in this thing that's happening. How do we invite people in rather than just trying to like, I just need to figure this out and kind of seclude myself from other people. How do we bring people into that? And it's hard. It's been, you know, we've been doing this for or here in Woodstock for uh, four and a half years, trying to live out that value. And it's hard. It takes time. It took the disciples time. And then looking to ourselves, um, the unbelief that we share with the disciples is that. We so often take actions and make decisions and live life with God out of the equation. Though we say we believe in Him, we live a godless life. And perhaps we uh, live moral lives, trying to follow the rules, trying to do what God says and what we're supposed to do, trying to be good people. 
but then when stress hits or chaos hits or things are messy or we get in situations, we live as if God's not there. We don't interact with him in those moments. We just expect him to not show up for us. And so often, um, Katie asked me a simple question. I think I've shared this before. Is that I'll be like, here's this thing I'm stressed about or here's this thing I'm planning and you know, she'll listen. Um, I'm like, really stressed about this. I don't know what to do. And she'll listen and nod and empathize and say, love you prayed about it. And in that moment, I'll be like, no. You know, so often I'll be like, no, yeah, I haven't included God in this at all. I haven't lo- I've been looking to my own resources to figure this out and to um, to work through it. And I'm, he's not been in the picture at all. It's just been me, 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 me looking to myself to get out of this and work through this and transform me or transform other people or this situation. And Jesus wants to keep the flock together by the shepherd. He wants the flock to be together. He wants the flock to be together by the shepherd like this. So often we say, life is crazy, life is stressful, I'll come back to the shepherd and I'll come back to the flock when things are less crazy and less stressful. And Jesus wants the flock to be together and he wants it to be by the shepherd. And Satan wants to pull us away from the flock and away from the shepherd. And that's when we're most vulnerable and most, you know, we're help, you know, there's a reason the Bible uses the sheep as an image because we're helpless and vulnerable and we're in need of a shepherd and need the rest of the flock. So as we think about us as a community and we think about how do we uh, look different from the world as a community and it says we look differently uh, at each other and that we look different instead of looking out for ourselves we look out for each other that we're looking and noticing needs and caring for one another and only not instead of only caring out for our interests and we will care for other people's interests and we look and we are wanting to help and looking for each other, uh, what other people are needing. And we're looking to God and being a community that, you know, what Josue read in Acts 2, that this is a community that they're just seeing the power and the presence of God and caring for each other and then sticking together. And when we're looking, and looking to God is so important, um, sticking close to the shepherd, helping each other, um, because the path of the world is to look out for ourselves and to look to ourselves. And, and the way we look different from the world is to look differently, to look out for each other and to look to God. And when we're looking to God and helping each other look to God is that we leave each other uh, as sheep without a shepherd when I mean, we, it's so important to listen and empathize with each other when we have problems. You know, Jesus, that compassion there, like that we need to pray for, Jesus, give me the compassion you had when other people have problems, you know, having that deep compassion. But then what does Jesus do? He doesn't just say, like, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. Like, that's really hard. Then he teaches them about the kingdom, about God, about what God's like. And when we leave people just in empathizing and saying it's really hard that that happened to you, we leave people as sheep without a shepherd, that we need to point them to the shepherd and bring, we need to come to God, too. Let's go to the shepherd. So an easy question we can ask is, where do you see God in that? It's like when we come with compassion and empathy, is saying, like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That sounds really hard and painful and hurtful when we sit with people and sit with each other and what's hard and um, what's been difficult. And then we say, where do you see God in that? And maybe we, the response is, I'm not seeing him in it. And then we pray, like, let's pray that we can see God in that. Because we want to bring people to the shepherd and not leave them as sheep without a shepherd. So the way we look different from the world is to look differently, to look out for each other, 
not only for ourselves, and to look to God and not only to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this passage where you show us your care, your love for your people, through how Jesus cared and loved for these people who are sheep without a shepherd, who were wandering, who were not being cared for by their leaders, uh, who were in hurting and in need and uh, who were helpless and vulnerable. Thank you for showing us Jesus' love and his gut-level empathy and tenderness and compassion. Would you make us a community that uh, looks to you as our Father, looks to Jesus as our Shepherd? Would you make us people that reflect what Jesus is like in this story? Would you make us people who look out for each other and not only for ourselves? Would you make us people who look to you and not to ourselves to um, be this type of community because we know we cannot do it on our own. Thank you for teaching us, for leading us, for guiding us, for not leaving us alone in this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen.